Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and I'm the host of My Time Capsule, where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would like to preserve in a time capsule. They choose four things that they love and would like to keep safe, but they also choose one thing they'd rather regret, something they'd like to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the comedian and actor Rob Rouse. Since winning Channel 4's prestigious So You Think You're Funny competition at the Edinburgh Festival in 1998, an award previously won by Dylan Moran, Lee Mack, Tommy Tierney and Peter Kay, Rob has been a regular performer at major venues on both the London and National Circuit. On TV, Rob plays the lovable servant, Bottom, in Ben Elton's brilliant comedy about the life of William Shakespeare, Upstart Crow, which also stars David Mitchell, Harry Enfield, Mark Heap and Lisa Tarbuck. In fact, he is currently performing in the West End stage version of that show. More of that shortly. Rob has also been seen in Grown Ups, The Law of the Playground, Coronation Street, The Right Stuff, Guilty Pleasures, the film Penelope, The Friday Night Project, which later became The Sunday Night Project, can't imagine why, the Channel 4 sketch show Spoons, Tunnel of Love, The Bunk Bed Boys, The Pilot Show, Eight Out of Ten Cats, Bogner or Bust, and he played the title role in the series The Former Ambassador Robert Thornton for Paramount. He was also in the ITV show Mad Mad World. Rob makes several of his own podcasts, including one he makes with his wife, the author Helen Rutter, called Rob and Helen's Date Night. And he also makes the Rob Rouse podcast. I spoke to Rob from my home whilst he was in his dressing room at the Apollo Theatre in London. I didn't tell him, but I think I had that dressing room for Yes Prime Minister several years ago. Anyway, as is always the case with this podcast, I sent Rob a list of the things to do to make the recording run smoothly and sound better, including wearing headphones. A simple request, you'd think. Of course, you'd think wrongly, as you'll discover now as you hear my time capsule chat with the naturally funny and very charming Rob Rouse. 
I hope you have as much fun as I did. I'm smashing. How are you doing? Fantastic that you are in the dressing room. I am in the dressing room. And I I just realised, Michael, I thought I had you on my Bluetooth earpiece, but you're coming out of the computer. Now, Uh -uh. I'm having to record it, obviously, on a separate microphone. Do your best. But likewise, I don't want to burn up any of our creative juice here. (laughs) It's dripping off me. (laughs) Well, it is. And I can smell it as well. And these... (laughs) It, it, these moments are the bits you want to bottle, aren't they? This is the pressure stuff, yeah. This is the real stuff. But <laughs> how the hell I, I connect... Ah, maybe it's those. I click on that. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Can you hear me coming through your headphones? Oh, mate. <laughs> it's a bastard, isn't it? Isn't it? And it doesn't get easier, does it? It doesn't no. get easier. It says we're connected to Bluetooth. <sighs> says everything is happening. The reason I don't have my plug-in ones is because... Um, my landlady, who I'm staying with, my lodgings, my theatrical lodgings, yes. she came down with COVID, bless her. So oh, uh, no. I, they put me up in a travel lodge, which is, I mean, it's all, it's all fine. It's all, these are minor problems, aren't they, Michael? But um, They are, yeah. But as a result, in life. my recording gear, which I brought all my, I mean, the, the audio I could have returned, you would have, you wouldn't have <laughs> believed. Incredible, <laughs> incredible. If we lined them up, as long as I don't talk over you, we're fine, aren't we? The problem is, of course, that I tend to laugh. So actually you'll get my laugh coming through your speakers. Gotcha. And going, I will laugh as well. You're right. We'll both make noises at the same time, won't we? It's got to be something I can find here. I'm going to run down to the stage door and see if anyone down there has a pair of headphones I can wipe and borrow. Okay, mate. Let's do that. I'm so Michael, this is not how I wanted to start. <laughs> I wait here. I'm here. I'll be back in a sec. Okay. Yes, poor Rob. Now, dressing room number one in a theatre like this will be right next to the stage door. <clears throat> About four minutes later, Rob returned. Oh. Oh. No? Ah! Michael. Yes, love. I can't. Now it's playing music out of these Bluetooth headphones. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't understand life. <laughs> Rob, we're going to go with it. I'm going to rely on Zoom. It's all right. I can't, I can't turn these off. Uh, I'm still playing music in their box. This We have the ability. I spoke to Barry Cryer in the pub, and it was the noisiest pub I've ever... He said, we meet in the pub. I went, OK. Is it just okay. A, he said, it's only be lunchtime. Well, you just be quiet. We'll have, we'll have a pint. I went, OK. <laughs> Rammed. And you wouldn't have had it any other way with Barry. He was he, what, what a wonderful man Barry Cryer was. Oh, he was a brilliant man. He rang me just about a week before he died, and he told mm. me a fabulous joke. He said, two old ladies sitting at a bus stop, and one of them looks across the road and says, is that the Archbishop of Canterbury over there? And the woman says, I don't know, go and ask him. So the old lady totters across the road and chats to this old bloke and comes back, sits down. She says, well, he said, well, he told me to fuck off. So she said, oh. Well, now we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great and that, joke. That's how he would have started the call, wouldn't he? Michael. Exactly. That's right, yeah. Anyway, yeah. it's two old ladies. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Wonderful. I, I, I remember one of the first time I met him, I remember being uh, just doing it. It was a gig at the Leicester Festival, like a gala gig or something. And I was quite nervous. It was a big gig for me. But he, and he, you know, obviously he was a veteran. But he knew who everyone was. 
Yeah. He'd seen all our stuff. He was across everything. It was so lovely. It was like, uh, it was the example of how you'd want any of your heroes to be. He never judged anybody by how successful they were. He just judged them by how good they were. Yeah, yeah. Are you doing it? Are you enjoying it? Mm. Are you kind of putting yourself into Yeah, that was all that mattered to him. It was brilliant. But now you're stuck down in London in a travel lodge. I am. Having to perform every night. Family at home. That's right, yeah, yeah. This is the weird thing because generally... I've been a stand-up for, what's well, since 1998, mm. and sporadic actor, unlike yourself. You're a full-blooded, <laughs> full-blooded actor, because I feel like I know you. I feel like I know you. <laughs> Your voice is in, when you speak, something happens inside me. I go, I've seen you in so many things, and I also think, I might be about to buy a product without any possible understanding of why I'm doing it. That's the trick. Are you the salt man? Is it salt bedine? I'm not telling people what I do. They'll work out how much I'm worth. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very nice to suddenly become your best friend. It, it really is. I went to see Nick Helm last night in concert. Oh, yeah, great. Wow, he was absolutely amazing. I mean, it was a brilliant, yeah. brilliant show. And afterwards, I sort of hung around to say hello. And I've spoken to him on this. And he just came over and gave me a great big cuddle. Mm. It was gorgeous. So that's me and you, Rob. Oh. We're going to be going out. We're going to go to pubs. We'll be West End Wendy's together. It's going to be <laughs> I wanted to ask you, is your wife related to Barry Rutter? No, she's not. Do no, my know? wife, Helen Rutter. Yeah. yeah. She, not, not related, but we met him at a wedding once. And... Um, they clarified that they definitely weren't related. <laughs> yeah, she's from Sheffield. Ah, right. And now, and when I met her, she was a, an actor, and uh, she now is a, a children's author. Yeah, I know. I mean, well, yeah, well done, her. Oh, absolutely. I've hitched the wagon correctly. <laughs> Somebody who's actually got a job that might pay. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've got one of those. What, what did your partner do? Well, she's done all sorts of things, but at the moment, she's what's called a QI elf. Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you been on QI? I would love to go on QI. This is my formal uh, throw my hat in the ring. Mm-hmm. I've told John Lloyd it happened to go on. I did, I did the warm-ups for the first series, and I remember talking to John, and I, he's a really nice man, isn't he, John Lloyd? Lovely, yeah. Really, really bright, really. And I just said, like, well, what's the secret? Because you produce so many incredible shows, brilliant comedies. He just said, I just employ the best people I can, find out what they need, and then stay out of their way. Then just leave them to it. And I thought... Oh, wow. This is the best piece of production advice. And I'm sure he's just being modest. But at the same time, there's a truth in it, isn't there? Yeah. Because we've all done loads of stuff where people tinker too hard or say no to everything. And then finally, when a good thing comes through, they claim, oh, yeah, 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 that was my idea. Yeah, yeah. It's weird, though, isn't it? The longer I've been a performer, the more I realise the whole thing, whatever you do is about getting out of your own way, isn't it? Yeah. And out of the way of the thing you're trying to give to the audience, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. It's amazing how complicated we can make it. <laughs> and all have. But exactly, because I was thinking I was walking in, like, um, from the travel lodge, and I was thinking, and I, I was walking down Shaftesbury Avenue and, and seeing all the theatres, and I was thinking, this is ludicrous that I'm in one of them. <laughs> but then I looked at all of them, and it, it, it's... But everyone's just pretending. Mm-hmm. Just There's just pretending going on, dress up all over the place here. But people come from all over the world to enjoy a bit of dressing up and pretending. And they're also pretending that they should be there. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, when you when you do it, I remember being, you, when you were in a show, you wander around as if, yeah, 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 I'm just in the West End. Uh, but your yeah. your little boy inside is going, oh, my God, I'm in the West End. 
yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's lovely. Yeah, well, I think when people lose that, then they should quit. I think you're right, yeah. I often, it's funny, like over, a, a, you know, what, I mean, now I'm you know, hurtling into towards 50, and you, I mean, I couldn't do anything else now. I've, ba- I've painted myself into a corner mm-hmm. as a clown, and uh, I'm just going to live with the consequences. <laughs> but it's funny, isn't it? It's like you often pick up your advice, don't you, from not necessarily the, the, the medium that you're in, from different sources. Mm. And I remember hearing a guy, um, it was Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age, he's a musician. And he said, the thing that you're doing owes you nothing. So it owes you nothing. And if you always think about it that way around, you should be doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. And I I think you get, and other people say things like, you get paid to travel and to wait, don't you? (laughs) You Do the thing for free. Yeah. And and that's the thing, isn't it? Like whether you're in a back room above a pub or you're doing the O2, you've got to go out there. Like it means everything. But at the same time, you have to kind of, I think it's it's the commitment to not give in a, a, excuse my language, or I don't, I, you know, I don't, we've not sworn, so I'm not going to swear, but not giving in an F. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Well, totally, it, it's about completely giving a beep about not giving a beep. That makes sense. <laughs> Nearly everybody swears on this podcast. Oh, do we? Oh, All yeah. right, yeah, yeah. I don't so, mind if yeah, you do. Totally not giving a fuck about giving a fuck. Yeah. Don't you give a fuck about not giving a fuck. You are being asked to not notice what you're doing in a way. But there's always a voice in your head going, look at all those people. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I could just stop now. I could just stop now, pull my trousers down and do a wee on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you have that voice as well, do you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do. I. That's my main problem on stage always, is that in my head, it's always this voice going, go on, go on, go on. Nobody's ever done that before. (laughs) <laughs> what's the worst thing it's told you to do uh i was in a show and some people came in late and i said oh this is no good no and they've missed all the important stuff let's start again <laughs> uh, and i actually did a summary of what we had done to these people Brilliant. and said and that's where we are at the moment okay carry on everyone everybody on stage looked at me as if i was mad but the audience probably really appreciated it it was a comedy you know we got laughs. Just buy everyone around of drinks afterwards, you'll be fine. <laughs> we, I mean, we had our first one uh, uh, the other night where towards the end of the show, I have a lot of cues, which terrifies me because I'm quite scatty. So I had them written down in my pocket so I could check them every time I went on so I brought the right person on, didn't run on and say the wrong thing. Yeah. By the end of it, it's a farce and you've got to hammer through it. Mm. And, uh, and the minute you drop it, it's a nightmare. And um, I went on to introduce someone and then turned around and they weren't there, which was great. I just said, uh, ah, uh, yeah, I think the door's stuck. <laughs> it's been a bugger, that door. We, we've been having trouble. And, and then eventually. But it's funny, those moments are when you really wake up as well, yeah. when you really come alive. Yeah, absolutely. They're, yeah. they're brilliant. You think to yourself, oh, my God, this has gone wrong. And then you remind yourself, it's all right, it's live. Yeah, yeah. And you need to acknowledge it in the most expedient way possible mm-hmm. and address it and then get going again. It's it's mad, isn't it? My instinct, though, is, as a stand-up, is that's where the gig starts in many ways. Mm-hmm. I have to fight the instinct not to go, right, I want to milk this now and turn <laughs> this into something. I've got about ten lines I can do here. Yeah, we've got a new play. Yeah, they're stacking up in your head. And the other thing I've really been feeling this time around is um, I really admire how you full-time actors – 
are able to do the same play again and again and again and again without going completely mad. <laughs> because so if I'm at the Edinburgh Festival doing an hour-long stand-up show, I'll have to walk to the venue a different way every day or do something different, break the routine all the time. Otherwise, like even though it's my own words and I'm sort of feathering and picking new ones each time I do it, Bedtime stories are why kids fall asleep, aren't they? Because you read them the story they know. Yes. But I think if you say the same lines over and over again, wearing the same clothes, looking at the same person, eventually something's going to slip, isn't it? And your brain's going to go shortcut and then you've forgotten. Yeah. It's why I think actors spend all the time trying to think of a different way to say a line. I'm always amazed by those actors who don't. I've worked with actors who mm. say the same line the same way, night after yeah. night after night. And it's weird. Yeah. I hardly ever say the lines the same. Right, that's good. Then I know I'm not being unprofessional. <laughs> well, maybe I am. <laughs> well, it seems to have done you all right, so I'll follow your lead. I'm all right, but what a lovely show to be in. Ben Elton, what a great writer. Yeah. David, what a lovely man. I know, I know. And Helen Monks, I, I worked with Helen when she was in The Archers. She is one of the nicest human beings. Mm. She just exudes positivity, happiness, yeah. warmth. Whatever her parents did, they just built a brilliant, brilliant human being there, didn't they? Yeah, amazing. See, archers-wise, mm. pump the brakes a second, mister. So I'm always fascinated by the archers for the, the, the noises around the words that you do. Yeah. That, that kind of uh, opening and closing draws and uh, uh, <laughs> when someone sits down. Uh, yeah, I had a bit of trouble with the uh, sheep in the bottom field there. <laughs> How much direction do you get on those or... Do you ever have to rein them in or do more or do you have like a, a bank of them? No, not a lot. You don't get much direction on those, no. They're sort of taken yeah. for granted. Yeah. Most of my scenes were in bed. <laughs> well, that now, so how do you do the kissing noises? Ah, now we tried it. I did it with the lovely Sonny Ormond who plays Lillian, most of the scenes I did. Mm -hmm. And we were having this passionate affair together. Yeah. And so every scene either started, well, generally, pre- or post-coital. That was how we described it. And so they either started with us sort of finishing or it ended with us going into it. Gotcha. Early on, we agreed that um, that actually that sort of kissing the back of the hands or pretending to kiss, it didn't work. So we just snogged each other. Really? Yeah. Re on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! And then we had sex. No, we didn't do that. No. <laughs> so you just used to kiss? Yeah. Wow! On the cheek or on the lips? On the lips. Incredible. Absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. That's the sort of dedicated actor I am. Yeah. <laughs> so, so can you remember what would be your, your finishing noise, Michael? Let's, uh, let's unbox this. So, yeah, <laughs> what would be your finishing noise? But, yeah, just post-coital. I'll do the music. Fading out. <sighs> Now, I'm obviously on a visual Zoom call with, uh, with Michael here. <laughs> he looks like he finished. <laughs> it was subtle, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael. My goodness, mate. Well, that blow the lid off the arches for me. Yeah. So I remember once rolling around with laughter years and years ago during the Adam and Joe when they were on either on XFM or Six Music something. Mm. They did a bit where they... They edited all of the exhales in the arches that week and put them together. <laughs> You're probably on there. There might have been sounds of you finishing. 
<laughs> oh dear. Okay, Rob, we should talk oh. about the things that we're supposed to talk about on this podcast. Yes. It's tricky. I've, I've, I did find it difficult writing a list because so why are we, bar- why are we making a capsule and how big is the capsule? Because that wasn't stipulated in the instructions. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Well, it's as big as you need it to be, really, because it, right. you can either put sort of conceptual ideas in there or you can put in absolutely huge things. Are we burying this or are we firing it into deep space? No, we're not getting rid of it. It's definitely something that if you need it, you can go back and have it. Right. In a way, in your dotage, you could go back and re-enjoy those moments. Okay, so we're, we're potentially putting them in a big yellow storage, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's very much what people want it to be for themselves, I think. Okay, so it's an opportunity to either confuse history, <laughs> yeah, use a big yellow storage, or fire it into deep space. Yeah. Those, all of the options are open to us. Yeah. Okay, all right, cool. Well, um, and, and how, how do we go into it? Do you, do you ask me to bring in my first item? We should do it like we're on the arches. <laughs> I could almost, yes. I could, I could come out. We, we could pretend we've come post-coital and uh, go, yeah. oh, Rob, that was great. Thanks very much. Oh, okay, yeah. well, um, let's talk about your first item. Well, here we go. Just give me a second. I'm just going to that here. Oh, goodness me. It took me quite an effort to get it up the stairs there, Michael. Oh, terrible problem. I'm, just had my hand inside a cow's ass. <laughs> I've struggled with this, but the first thing I'd like to put in, um, I lost my old dog, Ronnie, in May. Ah. 15 and a half. I can talk about him now, but uh, I don't know whether I want to put him in it, but because he, obviously I'd have to dig him out of the garden and, and put him in there. <laughs> but some, I'm going to put his, his lead in there. Right, to remind you of the walks. Yes, remind me of the walk, but remind me ultimately of the chaos. Hmm. It's a really interesting thing because um, have you got pets? I haven't got any more pets, no. I've had pets. I've never had a dog as an adult. Never had a dog? Not as an adult, no. You had one as a child? Yeah, we always had a dog when I was a child, but I've never had one since. I suppose, really, I never felt that my life was consistent enough for a dog to be part of it. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because certainly one thing that Ronnie wasn't was consistent. So we got him from Battersea Dogs Home, so a second-hand dog. So came with a little bit of baggage, but he was about three months old at the time. It was a kind of collie cross, bit of Alsatian maybe in there, bit of retriever. Hmm. So I think it's a fox, potentially squirrel. Hard to tell. There was all sorts <laughs> in Ron, because uh, and he was he was found in Bermondsey near the police station. And I think, I think ultimately his genus was some kind of canine group activity around the back of some form of skip area. I wouldn't be surprised. My parents always had dogs like that. Mm. They never had a specific breed, but they lived in Bermondsey. Did they? And what a lovely idea oh. that Ronnie may well be a long-distant cousin. He could be. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Maybe that yeah, it all links up, doesn't it? It's brilliant. <laughs> maybe Ronnie... Wow, that's blown my head apart. It could have been. <laughs> well, were their dogs pretty mad? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's probably wrong. <laughs> Incredible. I, I never grew up with dogs. I grew up with cats. And I never really felt that close to the cats. You know, they just they're, they're, I couldn't really connect with them. And I, but I got bit by dogs a few times when I was young, so I was always quite scared of dogs. Right. And incidentally, Ronnie was an absolute headbanger of a dog, but I was never scared of him because... It, I learned how to understand what he was trying to do. Mm. I think because he was a mongrel, he and and he'd had that rough start in life. 
there was something about him whereby uh, he was kind of bulletproof. <laughs> like they, they say with dogs, you're not allowed, they're not allowed to eat uh, raisins, grapes, chocolate. All these things will kill them. Yeah. I mean, there's a list as long as your arm of the things that this dog stole. And he, I remember once when I lived in Crystal Palace, he stole 17 suet mince pies <laughs> off the side and ate all of them. And, uh, and it was a box of 18, and I found the final one tucked underneath his bed as if he got, oh, I can't. Oh, I can't. Oh, I can't. Oh, I can't. Well, I'm not even that one. Then. He's tucked underneath. <laughs> like Two months before he finally expired, he just basically he'd ran out of gas. Old school, just ran out of gas. And mm. um, uh, he stole a Toblerone out of one of the kids' bags, ate the whole thing. <laughs> and the um, packet. Yeah, exactly. All of it, all of it, gone. A giant one they'd be giving as a present, a whole one from an, air, an airport Toblerone, another big one. Yeah. You could construct things out there, like girders. <laughs> whole thing, gone. Just a little bit of silver foil left on the floor. And he got inside like that. Oh, fuck it, I've done it again. But he, and he was always fine. He was always fine. About a week later, that was it. He was getting quite smelly. So I gave him a wash and uh, we didn't have any dog shampoo. So I just used some Tresemme, you know, <laughs> yeah. stuff that experts use. And <laughs> he came back and said, Ron smells good. So yeah, I gave him a full shampoo and treatment. She said, we- what do you, I said, it was Tresemme. It's what the experts use. She said, you can't use human shampoo on a dog. I said, he ate a Toblerone last week and he was absolutely fine. I don't think a little bit of Tresemme is going to, you know, knock him over the edge. No. Incredible. And, and he also, um, he bit a lot of people, Michael, which is, that's the collie in him, little nips. Mm. Never, never attacked, but little nips. That's yeah, what yeah. they, they yeah, do. Yeah, get off. Um, yeah, but he bit, I'd say, at least a dozen people who in this modern world could have potentially said, Come on, this dog is not, you know. Not, but it was always because they'd like either pulled his hair or tried to kiss him, and we'd always say, "You can't, you can't pull his hair, you can't kiss him. He's a seventies dog. You know what I mean? He's like an old seventies dog. You can't fucking ride. Don't try and ride him. Like, <laughs> ride him. They put him in clothes. He wasn't having a bar of any of that. If he saw a dog in clothes, he'd attack the dog and rip the clothes off. Because he thought, this isn't right. You're making a fool of all of us, mate. Exactly. What the fuck are you wearing a T-shirt for? <laughs> Come on, I'll get you out of that. He was a good South East London boy then, was he? Yeah, yeah proper, proper boy. But the yeah. great thing about that is that they always have that sense with the people who've taken them on. So you, for example. I remember that with our own dogs. That it was all the time they used to look at you like saying, thanks, mate, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And he slept underneath. Both my kids were born at home on the sofa, which was amazing. And that, that sofa had to go in a skip, I don't mind telling you. <laughs> but Ron had slept underneath their cots every single both kids and it, so it was that thing he was really gentle and it just I don't know it just and, and since I've lost him I've been conscious of trying to think I'm trying to be more Ron in my life huh. I think because <laughs> it's funny I, I didn't realise that how much um, yeah so I don't I don't want to forget him because he was a real influence in terms of how my, my well, I mean, influenced so many bits of my life the dog was Kind of the commitment to how we ended up thinking, right, well, we could have a family, couldn't we? If we look after a dog, we could look after kids. Yeah. And previous to that, we had a pet duck in Crystal Palace. <laughs> That's not going to do it. No, well, it was close. Shaniqua is an amazing bird. She, uh, I used to take her for walks in Crystal Palace Park. Wow. And then she'd swim on the lake and then she'd follow me home. It was incredible. It was really, really that is fun. amazing. Yeah, because they're, they're quite like dogs in that they will, once they've imprinted onto you, they'll follow you around everywhere, ducks. 
Yeah, my uncle Jim used to have a, a, a pet dog and a duck, and the dog would walk him to school. Yeah, you know, back in the days where kids just walked themselves to school, <laughs> primary school, and the duck would follow the dog. It was walking him to school, and then he'd go into school gates. The dog would turn around, the duck would follow the dog home. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a long time ago, though, isn't it, the 1920s? Yeah, 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 very different times back then. Obviously, a lot less cars on the road, and a lot more dogs and wildfowl, of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. They were everywhere. Yeah, but, but I think that's what it is. The, the chaos that Ronnie brought into my life always became something creative. That's what it was. He sort of reinvigorated my love of stand-up, and I'd not been to the festival for a few years, and, and then the chaos that surrounded him, basically, in a nutshell, he carried out an act of auto-fellation in, uh, <laughs> in my mother-in-law's living room so hard that he dislodged uh, a crucifix off the wall. Yes. <laughs> my son, who was a baby then, just sat on the sofa in his nappy, like, just watching that whole thing. Um, whilst we were watching Wallace and Gromit at Christmas, thinking I must get more flexible. Yeah, absolutely. And and that, but that from that, I ended up my stand up took a kind of a storytelling, but jokes on the way to jokes thing. Yeah. So I suddenly realised that um, I don't know. It was interesting. I, I think I started out stand up. I didn't really know. It's twenty four. I think I didn't really know who I was. I didn't have a clue. I don't know. I don't really know any. Think anyone really knows who they are, do they? No. But there's a thing about stand-up where if you don't have opinions or you're not confident in your worldview, you have to find something else that you can talk about with passion and conviction. Yeah. So that Ronnie has sort of opened up for me a kind of a way of accessing other bits of life and, and presenting it in a funny form. So I'll be forever indebted to him. So in a way, the, the chaos of his life, it's an example that it's all right to be chaotic. It's all right yes. for things to be unplanned. Yeah, and yeah. of course you need that as a stand-up completely, don't you? Well, and, and you need it in life, don't mm-hmm. you? It, it's interesting. I, I found, um, I mean, obviously the, the, the pandemic was was insane and awful in so many different ways for for everybody. But bizarrely, I mean, having never been financially massively successful, I got me a little financial payout from uh, from Rishi Sunak. <laughs> Bless uh, him. Yeah, the lad from Flushed Away. And, um, <laughs> And the sun was out, and I spent too much time away from home. So I had this kind of – I mean, I, I spent the best part of five months sat in a paddling pool just <laughs> explaining my life decisions to Amazon delivery drivers. It was incredible. You know, it was just a <laughs> lovely, lovely time. And, 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 and but I thought in some ways that the chaos of my life to that point kind of prepared me for this unprecedented weirdness. Yeah feel lucky in the way that you're able to approach it from a sort of a creative angle. Yeah. And at least think, ah, oh, right, I can't do that. What can I do on Zoom? And then when I tweak with Zoom gigs that essentially, because I can do it, I could do them on my phone. I'm not going to try and do stand-up down a phone. I'm going to go outside and try and sell people my caravan and, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> and, it's like, and it was great. I used to do gigs and present them with this business op- investment opportunity. <laughs> And then turn around this mildew-covered caravan. <laughs> I was trying to flog them as a business centre and realising that you, you could bring things in and out of frame. And then suddenly, like, kind of, actually, oh, it's quite easy to do gigs on Zoom. Yeah. I don't know how to go anywhere. It's really quite interesting. And then eventually, like, like with Zoom now, then you could have, like, a front row and you could, and you can, you've got some feedback from the audience. Yeah. And then end up doing this thing on Patreon where I just put up stuff every day because I started racing my chickens 
um, in, in the back garden. Ended up doing them live on Talksport quite a few times, which was brilliant because Max and Charlie, the lads who did the show, were really on board with it. Yeah. Live chicken racing from the back garden because at the point there was no sport. So we no. were just doing live chicken racing. <laughs> and it, it was great because it cleaved the audience absolutely asunder. There was people who were really excited and got in, on board and, you know, were betting and all sorts of stuff. And then people <laughs> who were absolutely incandescent with rage. <laughs> what? This no. abomination yeah. was happening on TalkSport. Uh, so I love fun. that Richard Herring does that brilliant podcast where he plays himself at snooker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quite astonishing. He's played himself a lot. As a well, lot. Hasn't he? <laughs> I know. That in life is probably the right attitude, I think. You know, you're never going to please everybody. Yeah, you can't. And if you aim to, then you'll you'll just make beige, won't you? You'll make Magnolia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not the film Magnolia. I think that's rather fine film. That's rather good, yeah. Yeah, but the paint. <laughs> you'll make a great thing. 25 litre trade pot of magnolia. <laughs> no use to anyone. No use to anyone. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, let's put Ronnie's lead in there to remind you of all the chaos yeah. and the brilliant times. What a lovely dog. Yeah, absolutely. He destroyed so many picnics, all the, you know, <laughs> strangers' picnics. Yeah. He took an ice cream out of a baby's hand once when we were on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> He sounds like a good Bermondsey boy. Yeah, well, look, God. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I we always went down to Dorset, and it was beautiful on the Jurassic Coast. And it was the first time Ron had been in the sea. And they used to just go out for, like, constitutional swims, like one of those old men in the swimming hat. <laughs> but he also, he just, he didn't know, he just drank loads of seawater. <laughs> and then when he, when he came back onto land, he just lifted his tail and emptied his bilge tank. <laughs> Incredible. Amazing. But yeah, so I'm trying in my life to be more like Ron. Good idea. I mean, look after everyone. Yeah, and occasionally people need a little nip. Exactly. If you, if anyone pulls the hair anywhere near my anus, I will bite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to the second thing on your list. Okay, sorry to interrupt the delightful Rob Rouse, but we have to take a short break for some ads. Back soon. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And we're back, and so on with the podcast. Here are the remainder of the things Rob Rouse wants to put in his time capsule. I've got a few here. Um, I'm going to put a bicycle in there. Right. Because I like two wheels when I'm at the, the, my lodge, my actor's lodgings <laughs> here in London. Uh, you oh, you have to slip into a little bit of uh, Sirian, don't you, when you talk about your actor's lodgings, I think, Michael. <laughs> uh, a good friend of mine helped me with my Sirian uh, uh, McKellen uh, impression. While vocally it may not be perfect, I think I get the rhythm about right. And, of course, she's from Lancashire, doesn't she? Uh, but if you go a little bit uh, further uh, east, you can end up with um, John Shuttleworth, can't you? you, you <laughs> go a little bit, you soften it slightly. But um, I think that the trick with Syrian is um, he will talk to you in a very, very measured manner and then suddenly give you a lot of information all at once. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, with the going back and forth from my lodgings on a bicycle... Uh, I've really enjoyed, and I think there's something about two wheels that it's just brilliant. I, I ride a motorbike as well, although one, I had one nicked while I was down here. Mm. Awful, awful, mm. really heartbreaking. Yeah. It's the only way I can actually get home on a Saturday night and guarantee that I can get back on Monday. So I live in Peak District, but the two wheels for me represents freedom and that thing that you always, when you were a kid, uh, I, when you first got a bike. You suddenly think, I could go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Literally go anywhere at any time. You know what I mean? Oh, when, when you got lights, I remember getting a dynamo for my bike and then just always going out at night. Every night I'd be out just riding with my lights on, lighting the road <laughs> up, going as fast as I could to make the light go brighter. I've got a mate in Tunbridge Wells who, as a boy, 16, Yeah. his friend said to him, we should go for a bike ride this summer. And he said, yeah, where should we go? And his mate said, how far is Sweden? <laughs> and they went. Did they really? They cycled to Sweden. I know. That's fucking brilliant. Isn't it? My son's 14 and uh, it, it's hard, isn't it? it? As an older generation, you always think that your childhood was freer, better. But I think it was. I think mm. it was because our whole lives as kids, it was all about having a bike. Yeah. And your day happened absolutely organically because of the bike. And that just meant you could explore the universe you were in. And now, as a parent, I feel like constantly trying to hold back the flood of devices and being in your own space, but with other people. A few uh, months ago, for some reason, there was a mast went down or something near where we live, so there was no mobile signal. And my son, who, who, he's, and he's pretty good. Like, he's still just got, he's only just getting a smartphone at 14. Oh, wow, that's impressive, yeah. Yeah, he's great. He's a brilliant lad. And, uh, and he thought he wanted to go and see one of his mates. And he said, I, but I can't get in touch with him. No one's got landlines anymore. He didn't. And, and I said, well, just jump on your bike 
and go around his house and knock on the door. <laughs> and again, it's, it's not a criticism of him. The very concept of doing that was absolute anathema to him. Yeah. I won't know if he's there or not. Yeah. What if he's, and it, all the questions, what if he's not in? What if there are people there? What if his grandparents are over? All of these things. Hmm. And I thought there were never things we considered as kids. No. You just knock on, is John in? Yes, no, oh, he's over there or not. I don't know where he is. And then you get on your bike and then you go, well, maybe he's at Jim's house or maybe he's at the park. Or up the wreck. Yeah, exactly. So your day would kind of develop organically with all this mindless time. And now for young people to make an arrangement, it's all prearranged. I'm nearly there. I'm there. I can see you. You're there. We're there. We're both here. Now we're both here. We're both on our phones. <laughs> and I just wonder, I, it feels like we're all part of a massive experiment that I don't think we're all going to benefit from. Mm. But the bike, the but bike. Absolutely. And as a kid, I do now occasionally visit areas that as a kid I would have cycled around. And I'm always mm. amazed at actually the distance from my home that we would make in a day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We were feral, weren't we? Mm. We're feral, untagged. Thinking about it, sort of 20 miles away from home. Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? And I, I don't know whether, were our parents worried? I don't know. Or... <laughs> I don't think they knew. <laughs> they knew, didn't they? No. It was, like, it was almost like we grew up with like a benign neglect. <laughs> but, the, but that gave us a lot of room to express things or to make make our mistakes. And I think that's, that, that's also a hard thing about parenting, isn't it? With, with these tracking devices is how you give room to make mistakes. Yeah, of course, because uh, as with anybody, you think, so what, I, I want to give them freedom, but at the same time, you're terrified that they may be the statistic. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Terrifying. And the other thing about the bike, though, is, yeah, it's, so, but it, it's that contact with the, the world you're in and moving through it and the air, seeing more stuff. But also, crucially, what I always do, if ever I'm riding a bike, and my wife is riding a bike, I always make sure, and, and I want your listeners to do this, that you ride towards the love of your life, and then you look at them right in the eyes, then you do a skid, a sliding skid, <laughs> all the way up to them whilst maintaining full eye contact at all times. Oh, they're going to be in love with you forever, aren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely, and I think, and, and I've always done it with Helen, and I will do it, <laughs> <laughs> Until I'm incapable of riding a bicycle anymore. <laughs> on your little mobility scooter. You yeah. Say, oh. you say, Does this one skid? <laughs> Slam it sideways while looking at it like that. I, I need to go completely to the side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the, ult- it's the ultimate courtship ritual. <laughs> Make eye contact and then pull a skid while <sighs> looking at them all the way through. Why did we never start a scene in the archers like that? That would be incredible, wouldn't it? <laughs> And then just a little finish at the end. <laughs> so I put, I put a bike in. The, the skidding towards the love of your life is very, very, very important. Beautiful. I can't stipulate that enough. Yeah. It's very important to do that. Okay. It's got a little bit of loose gravel for you. Make it yeah, easy. You need a little bit of loose gravel. Yeah. Gravel's the best. Mm. I think just because it's the audio experience as well, isn't it? Yeah. You can do it on mods, but then you run the risk of... Spraying their face, showering your, taking your, their eye out. Yeah, yeah your right. lover in mud. It's got a, a pea gravel. Is ideal. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Let's bung that bicycle in there with a lovely skid at the end. Yeah, fantastic. All right, let's move on to number three. Um, I'm going to go for a tabard. 
It's one of my favourite words, tabard. <laughs> you know what tabard is, don't I you? I think I do. What, how would you describe a tabard? <clears throat> now, am I completely wrong in, in thinking that it's a sort of a sash? Is that totally wrong? It's not totally wrong. If you imagine like, like a rose queen sash. Yeah. But a rose queen of the dinner hall. Then you've got the tabard, haven't you? Right, okay. It's yeah. the, I suppose, it, I think it, it's what I think is what a dinner lady would wear. Very good, yeah. That's a tabard for me, a tabard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's sometimes striped, maybe a pale blue, white, a pale pink or a yellow or something. Yeah. But it says, you're in safe hands here, people are being fed. That's what it says. <laughs> and I think I've always, I'm not going to say how to think because that's the wrong way to express it, seen the importance of dinner ladies. And I know that I'm sure there are some dinner men as well, but when I was a kid growing up, dinner ladies, and I've always thought that it's a very special bit of uh, our whole life and Mm. culture. Dinner ladies everywhere are, are, I do think, are magnificent people. Yes. Because I always feel there are few things better for me than queuing up in a canteen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with a tray and then being able to choose some food that dinner ladies have cooked. Yeah. And then, you know, giving you a couple of extra chips <laughs> because you're nice <laughs> and you're friendly. Yeah. It always tastes great stuff when it's served up by dinner ladies. Mm. You know, like a, like a big, one of those big kind of aluminium pans of lasagna. Food out of a tray, a great big oh. tray. Tray cooked food is absolutely without doubt the best food in the world. Isn't it? Yeah. And, and and I remember, I was very lucky, like when I was at primary school, obviously I grew up in the start of the 80s, I suppose I was born in 74, so I would have been at school at maybe 79 onwards or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember our first dinner lady, May Harrison, she was called, <laughs> in our village school, Mrs. Harrison, and she cooked everything. Her and the lady, they cooked everything from scratch. Mm. It was state school, little village primary school, middle of nowhere, and the school dinners were great. Uh, I loved them. Really, really liked school dinners. Yeah, I wonder if they're still as good. In a way, councils have been forced to cut budgets yeah. and therefore they buy them in from one main source and they're brought in and heated up. So you don't get the cookery skill of a dinner yeah. lady. Yeah, exactly. And what they used to have with school dinners as well was that I think that whoever was in charge, Mrs. Ariston, dinner lady, mm-hmm. she was given like a budget and then she would source the stuff she would buy the gear and, and, and cook it. Yeah. And then you're absolutely right. Now my kids at primary school, again, like state school, and they we used to have a thing where you could go in and have lunch with the kids. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It was great. You sit in a little chair. <laughs> you couldn't wait. Yeah, you looked great. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. And, um, Can I have a bit but, from the edge, please, Mrs. Harrison? Yeah. Oh, oh I love school, <laughs> don't But what is apparent is now, I understand now the system is because of more and more selling it off to companies, basically, mm-hmm. is instead of going... There you go, uh, Mrs. Harrison, there's your however many quid for the month to sort out everyone's school dinners, which she could do. Mm-hmm. And, like, she just could make the best out of that. It gets cooked off-site by a big company who's someone's mate in government, and then it gets brought in and heated up. Yeah. So the dinner ladies aren't being allowed to do the cooking that they would like to be doing. No, nothing creative in it. It's just serving. Exactly. Yeah, and it's not as much... However, they still have to be treated as angels in aprons, as far as I'm concerned. In tabards. Yeah. Indeed. And what what I'm really proud of is I've passed on to both of my kids when they have a school dinner that don't do it too often because you could be taken the wrong way that you're being, you know, you're not serious. 
But every now and then, when you take your tray back, say, can I just say, ladies, that was absolutely sensational. <laughs> and I still do it. If I'm in a canteen and I get the chance, I'll always go back because I, I, I genuinely would really enjoyed it. Yeah. But to pop back to a hatch and say to everyone, that was absolutely sensational. <laughs> that ragu was exquisite. I don't know how you do it. And just the hoop. In such quantity. Yeah, absolutely. How do you do that on an industrial level without compromising flavour? It's beyond comprehension, Bill. <laughs> There's also another treat about getting a school dinner. And I don't know if they do that now either, but we would have the two courses and you would get them at the same time. So you would get your main course. Yeah. That's right. You get your pie and then they put peas on and then they pour some gravy on and then you'd have a big aluminium jug of water on the table yeah, with little plastic one. cups uh, and then you'd you'd pick up your knife and fork but also you'd you'd choose your dessert and they'd put the custard on the yeah. on the gypsy tart or whatever. You'd know what your meal was. It oh. was all in front of you. Yeah, and you could you you look at that going I'm having that in a bit. But the the joy of being able to leave positive feedback in person at the hatch <laughs> is something you should always I mean, it's, it's, it's a joy to do, and, and the hoots that you'll get from inside the kitchen just make it all worthwhile. It's that kind of stuff I think is really important in life, and it, it makes your day so much better. It's lovely. I remember when we were filming the, um, the series of Upstart Crow, we did it at London Studios, now, def- now gone, isn't it? Gone. And again, the food there, like, that they were thumping out in huge volumes in the canteen. Mm. Was superb, and I always I used to uh, yeah every about once a week I'd make sure I passed it back, <laughs> and it was it was a joy. It was great. So you get to know the people in the kitchen, camera people, the sound people. I found it was really helped me get over my nerves of doing it. Yeah, by talking to them, getting to know them, and because you can feel like their creative input. And they do it all the time. They go from one to another to another. Yeah. That's what they do all the time. They're really good. They're great, yeah. But at the same time, every now and again, if you were with somebody who was sort of high up at the BBC, they'd say, oh, come, come, we'll go to the waitress service place. It's never as good. Never as good. No. Can't say thank you to the dinner ladies. No. And I think that I gave away my roots of enjoying a good old school dinner in as much mm. as that I'd turn up there and I'd, I'd lick the cutlery to make sure nobody nicked it. <laughs> <laughs> all of it all of it that's what we did at school <laughs> where did you go to school oh in uh, in Bermondsey originally yeah. amazing amazing is that school still there it is know? still there yeah just the that everything around it has gone but the school is still standing yes amazing and mm. you're a Bermondsey boy I am a Bermondsey boy yes where did you learn to speak like an actor then oh you know I learned it on the streets mate you know ducking and diving didn't I <laughs> <laughs> just one more thing I remember but just circling back to Ron I remember once uh, when uh, before we had kids me and Helen went on holiday and we used uh, like this dog sitting website where you'd find people who wanted to look after a dog for a couple of weeks mm. and we dropped Ron off with a guy in Penge and, uh, and he was really really nice bloke and he, and he was like oh he's, oh, he's a fucking lovely dog This we're going to have a right old time me and Ron <laughs> and we came back two weeks later and Ron was like a barrel he was so fat and he stunk with bags. And, and we picked him up and Rob was like, he'd had a great time. He was literally smiling. And the guy said, oh, yeah, we've just been in a pub for two weeks. He's a great pub dog. Fucking hell, he's like a hoover. 
Robin just spent two weeks in the boozer in Penge. Oh, incredible. Probably the best two weeks of his life. Yeah. <laughs> just looking at people, those eyes, the way yeah, that they... Yeah, are, yeah. are you going to eat all those crisps? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> massive. massive. Brilliant. All right. Well, he goes in with the, with the tabard. Tabard, you've got to put a tabard in there. Yeah. To, and I genuinely think, I, I did think, when you look at the chaos that we're existing in, taking all party politics out of it, mm-hmm. if you bang the cabinet full of dinner ladies from all over the world who've all seen stuff, had a life, know what life is, I reckon you'd end up with a much better outcome. Yes, it's a very good theory of how we should be governed. In a lady. The people who sit at the back and actually do all the work and are very good and organise their life without any fuss whatsoever, they're the sort of people we should turn to for advice. Not people who go, um, well, I'll tell you what to do. Hang on a minute. Uh, excuse me, me over here. I did go to a good school, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the dinner ladies, because you think about it, A, they understand nutrition, they understand the health, the importance of fresh air, they deal with conflict all the time in the playground, yeah. negotiation, you know, talking people down, making sure everyone's <laughs> happy, looking after each other. But the ladies in charge, I reckon we'd be a lot better off. Fantastic. We've got two left, Rob. All right, we've got one good one and one, one bad one, haven't That's we? That's it. That's all we've got, yeah. Yeah. Right, so um, I've got lots on my list. I'm going to put in, as my last thing, I want to put in my time capsule, it's a five-litre bottle of Halford's all-season screen wash. <laughs> Who would want to be without that? Yeah, well, it is also empty. Right. It's empty, but it's signed by Big Reeves and Bob Mortimer. <gasps> and um, it's, uh, it, for me, it sums up the joy and creativity and fecundity of their brains. Yeah. So there's a little bit of noise coming from the Soho streets. I think we're just loading up barrels at the White Horse. <laughs> I'll just pop them. Can you keep it down out there, lads? We're trying to record a podcast up here. I am um, a knight of the realm. Yes, yes. There we go. And, uh, yes, so, and I, I went to go and watch. Uh, I've always loved Vic and Bob. I've always loved Vic and Bob. And um, I, I've enjoyed everything they've ever done. They've mm. never, never hit a bum note for me. It's the pure creativity and even if you overreach, the joy is in overreaching or missing or whatever it is. Yeah. They're just so funny. I went to go and watch their 25-year anniversary show that when they did that tour, not long after Bob had had his heart bypass, mm. which he talks about brilliantly in his uh, autobiography, Had the Way. Yeah. About, like he had a heart monitor. Exactly at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I listened to an audio book. It's just brilliant. Uh. Absolutely. So funny. And the, the, on the merchandise stall... There was like all you know, t-shirts, stuff, books, things like that, and then there was one five-liter bottle of Halford's Four Seasons Screen Wash <laughs> signed by the two of them, and it was five pounds. Oh. And I remember thinking they're about six pounds in Halford's. So, however you look at this, <laughs> this is a deal. <laughs> and also, it made me laugh so much at the fact that from the merchandise stall they'd gone. Let's just put some random shit on there that we've signed. <laughs> and it was a five-litre bottle of screen wash that was cheaper than buying it from Alfred's. Oh, brilliant. They were losing money on the deal. <laughs> and I just, it just made me laugh so much. And them, I'm sure. That's why they did it. They didn't care about the money. And I, I used the screen wash across all four seasons, and I kept it. I kept it on pride of place on the mantelpiece. But about a couple of years, 
And then I ran out of screen wash and I thought, well, I, I should use it. It's a Reeves and Mortimer product. It, I'm sure it'll be good. Mm. And it was superb in, on, across all four seasons. It worked perfectly. But I've kept the bottle and I kept the bottle in my garage that I, I write in and, and make mess and play music in and, and come up with crazy shit in. Wonderful. And it's there in pride of place. It's an empty bottle of screen wash. Bob Mortimer used to live about 150 yards from me. He had a house oh. there, I know, here in Tunbridge Wells, down in Kent. Yeah. And he, yeah. he had a lovely house just around the corner from where I live. And and I used to see him at the station. I don't know them. And I never got the yeah. nerve up to go, I just think you're a genius. Yeah, you know? yeah. I never did. I used to sort of look at him out the corner of my eye. You know, normally I'm not shy at all at going up to people and saying things. I know what you, know? you mean. But, but yeah. he's just so great. Yeah. He's so brilliant. I don't want to bother. I don't want to impact on his day. No. Yeah. It's, it's so amazing, isn't it? Like, um, I love Vic's art book. Mm-hmm. I love the way he paints. And buries cars in his garden. And it? it's yes, just mad. Incredible. All those different things. And then you know, they do all these television shows, really funny sketches, incredibly yeah. inventive. And then suddenly they do shooting stars. And oh. it's a work of genius. Yeah, it really is. It's insane, oh. isn't it? They're so good. And the, the fishing show with Paul Whitehouse. Oh, beautiful. Episode two, season five, the bit when Bob tries to drink a whole bottle of lemonade. <laughs> it's just, it, it's, he's a ludicrously funny human being, isn't oh, he? Oh, it's astonishing. He's astonishing. Oh. And then, of course, with David, you're working with at the moment. Would I lie to you? I love the fact that David could never work out if he's telling the truth or not. I know, Chris, Chris Rea putting an egg in the bath. <laughs> And I, I talked to David about it, and, yeah. and he, you could see, just he, you could see, he just lit up. He just can't, he can't make sense of it either. Just no, ah, you just, you just, ah. I've met him once, Bob Mortimer. Right. I met him in a warm up years and years ago for a show he was producing with Pet Productions, and he was really, really lovely, so kind, you know, just mm. really gentle, calm. Sweet chap. Well, you absolutely get that impression. When he does little interviews on that fishing show with people, mm. he's really brilliant at it, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he, he's got a really special way of relating to people, hasn't he? And putting them at ease. Yeah. Because almost anybody in front of him would go, oh, my God, you're Bob Mortimer. Yeah, yeah, it's so lovely. But I totally understand that thing of, like, you seeing him but thinking, oh, I don't, I, I, yeah. Years and years ago, I did a stand-up gig and I think they were trying some stuff out at it. And I did my bit and I turned round to walk off the stage and they were dressed as Mulligan and O'Hare. Oh. And it was a tiny little nightclub in London. And it was like all my dreams had come true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'd have to put that in. And I think also what, what they represent for me is a constant inspiration that to always try new things, always do new stuff, do what you think is funny, but also, the longer you do it for, surely the funnier you're going to get. <laughs> yes. Because an old man who's losing his hair, being just as silly, if not, well, compoundedly silly, on what he was when he was a young lad about town. Yeah. It just gets funnier, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a weird idea that as you get older, you're supposed to become more serious. I've never understood that. I think that surely if age gives you anything, because it takes away most things, what it should give you is the right to be silly. It really should do, isn't it? I remember seeing a picture of a, a photo booth picture, but it was a Victorian couple. So the first picture, they're very buttoned up and stripped. Yeah. 
I'd like to point out that background noise sounds like someone using an SDS drill on a wall. <laughs> it's not a breaking wind. <laughs> Perfect. That is an SDS drill, isn't it? Can yeah. we just agree that that's what that is? That's not you. No. Yeah. So this Victoria got the so buttoned up, and then obviously something had happened. Maybe a sound of an SDS drill had gone off, or Victorian <laughs> equivalent. And you see this couple crack up. And at the bottom, they're in bits. <laughs> and it's really interesting because like, this picture that's a couple of hundred years old are this couple just dying with laughter. And every other picture from that era is people lined up with their hands by the side looking really serious because having a picture taken now. Yeah. And it's a reminder, you, you don't think about that in history, that people would have been absolutely shitting themselves with laughter about really silly things. Yeah. And I, I think, like, when you remind yourself of that, it's very important. So, yeah, and so that five-litre screen wash bottle, that's going in there. It's one of my most treasured possessions. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised <laughs> at all. What a wonderful thing. <laughs> all right, so all we've got to do is put something in there that you'd like to forget about. All right. Well, it, it, it's summed up from if there any audio issues with this podcast of yours that I so admire, it's Bluetooth. <laughs> it's just all things Bluetooth into the fucking ground and forget about them. For me, it is the most overrated piece of pointless technology that genuinely screws with our lives on a daily basis. I can't toggle to that. It's not, this doesn't work. This blo- <laughs> It's bullshit, isn't it, Bluetooth? It's fucking crap. Yes. It's absolute shite. And everybody else coming in on your thing. Who's that connecting? Who are they? It's dog muck, isn't it? It's absolute <laughs> tod. It really is. Have you got a Bluetooth speaker? Somebody said to me, these are great sounds. So I bought one of those Bose speakers that you can play stuff on your yeah. phone and it goes on there. Now, I think one of my grandchildren changed the settings on it so it speaks to me in Russian. Oh! <laughs> I can't change it back. You'll never change it back. Because it's yet to go to one of yet. Yeah. I don't know what you're saying to me. <laughs> Am I connected or not? <laughs> You'll never be connected ever again. <laughs> it's the most overblown, up its own arse piece of technology I've ever encountered. It's like with stand up when they say, Do you want to use a Bluetooth microphone? A wireless. No, I want a wire coming out of it so I can wrap it around my arm, I can swing it round, I can whip the wire. And I can see that it's plugged in. It's plugged into that thing which goes out the speaker. Mm-hmm. And your Bluetooth can, oh, it can suck a fat one. It's terrible. <laughs> it never connects. It gets interrupted. And so my headphones didn't work. It said they were connected. They weren't. And then we started recording. It started playing music in my bag. It's just <laughs> shit, isn't it? Bluetooth. It is. Get fucked. It can get fucked so many times. <laughs> <laughs> I have put it in that. Did I say people swear on this thing? They never do. Oh, no! <laughs> put, put as many beeps on that as you want. <laughs> Let's call it fuck two. It's useless. It's <laughs> terrible. Uh, and, it's, and, and it's all that stuff. Bluetooth, tiny speakers. They're dreadful. Get wires and big speakers. <laughs> oh, drive me mad. And, but I reckon if we get rid of Bluetooth, speakers will get bigger, wires will come back, and things... 
That's the SDS drill again. <laughs> Things will sound better. <laughs> Things will sound better. Brilliant. We don't have to worry about the quality of the sound. It's the quality of the conversation, Rob. What a wonderful hour I've spent with you. Oh, mate, what an absolute treat to meet you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I really enjoyed this podcast, so it was a, it was a treat to be on it. Bless you. Stay in touch. Brilliant. Hey, <laughs> good timing. They're really going for it. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my wonderful guest, Rob Rouse. It was fun, wasn't it? Well, if you think it was, then we have nearly 250 other episodes for your entertainment with many wonderful guests, like Stephen Fry, our very first guest, Lucy Porter, Dara O'Brien, Harry Hill, Mark Gatiss, Caroline Quinton. I could go on and on, but I won't list them all. They're all on the podcast player of your choice. We've also got a load more coming up that I'm sure you'll enjoy, so why not subscribe to this podcast? Then we can let you know every time a new episode is released. (laughs) Won't that be annoying? If you have a spare moment, then do rate us and maybe even write a short review. I love this. Do listen will do. In fact, it would be perfect. Do contact me or my time capsule on social media to let us know if you do do that, because we can't thank you via the podcast players, but we will certainly thank you on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. And we're very happy to chat on there, so send us a message. The theme tune playing in the background was written by Pass the Peas Music and is available to download or stream on Spotify. The whole podcast was produced by John Fenton-Stevens and was a cast-off production for Acast, but it's available on whichever podcast player you prefer. I'll leave you with the news that Elton John's rabbit has just joined my gym. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Elton actually dropped him off. I said, that's unusual, a rabbit at a gym. Elton said, it's a little fit bunny. Bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.